I'm Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association. Welcome to the 50th episode of Tectonic. Now, when Vanessa, our producer here, and I started this, we weren't sure if we were going to do five episodes, much less 50 episodes. But here we are, and it's been a great time. And if you have listened to more than three episodes, I think you owe us a review. So go out and do that for us. And today's episode is very special. And let me set this up. In, in 2022, the tech-heavy NASDAQ lost over 30% of its value. And 2023 has been no picnic. Uh, can you spell SVP? So as technology companies navigate the ongoing economic uncertainty, uh, there has been a significant pivot to the following priorities. Number one, there is a maniacal focus on customer retention. And number two, there is a new focus on serving customers more cost-effectively. And so today we will be joined by Nick Mehta, the CEO of Gainsight, and Kelly Capote, the Chief Customer Officer of Gainsight. And we're going to discuss the current state of customer success in this environment. Before we dive in today, I'd like to share how TSIA can support technology companies in this current economic environment. I know that executive teams are navigating uncertainty. I also know that improving overall profitability has become a cornerstone of company initiatives. We hear it all the time on this podcast. So I am making a unique and time-limited offer. I will personally meet with any executive team to discuss the proven practices we see drive both profitability and growth. To learn more and take advantage of this time-limited offer, simply click on the email link in the show notes. So let's get the Insight Engine humming. Uh, Nick, Kelly, a welcome to this very special 50th episode of Tectonic. Uh, I suspect the majority of the audience is, is very familiar with Gainsight, but I'm going to start with you, Nick. C- can you describe uh, how your company uh, works and, and how people leverage the Gainsight platform? Yeah, Thomas, it's great to be here. Thanks. I'm a huge, huge fan of TSIA and everything you do personally, as well as your organization. I don't know what we're supposed to get you for the 50th anniversary podcast gift. Is that like a gold or silver? Yeah, or I don't know. That's going to have to look into that. Yeah, we'll figure that out. New, mi- new microphone or something? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so Gainsight, for folks that don't know, our company's mission is all about helping our clients better serve their clients in a more proactive way in service of driving what we call durable growth. Durable growth is all about growing in a more cost-effective, more efficient, more scalable way by driving value for your customers, by getting them to stay longer, become bigger fans, spend more money, and also growing through your product where you can actually help customers do more inside the product itself. And then finally, growing through your customer community so your customers become your biggest fans. So fundamentally, we think the world of growth at all costs and spending a ton of money on sales and marketing to get new logos is, is over. It's not just about that anymore. It's about how do you drive more durable growth from the client base you already have? So I lived through the dot-com bus, and this is clearly not that, but this is the first time in, in, in over 20 years, right, that there's an entire generation of tech companies that are being challenged to really think about the cost of growing revenue. So my first question, and, and, and I'll go back to, to you, Nick, again, do you believe this is a temporary pivot or a permanent mentality toward being more cost-effective in tech? Absolutely permanent. No, no doubt about it. Um, it. Basically, it's pretty simple that we had this um, 10 year ish, maybe maybe actually probably 13, 14 year ish run of fantasy land when if you <laughs> if you make interest rates zero, 
then everything changes in business, but that's obviously not sustainable. And we sustained it for probably longer than we we could have or should have. And in, in, in the world of interest rates being zero, yeah, you should always try to just grow as much as you can and never worry about making money. Because um, when you plug a 0% interest rate into a model, money that you get 20 years from now is worth the same as money you get now. But when you plug in anything above zero, there's more of a premium of making money today versus tomorrow. Anyone, any of us can appreciate that, right? If a friend said, hey, I can either pay you back next week or 10 years from now, like most people would like to get paid back next week, right? And so when you have interest rates that today are very high, but even in the long term are never going to go back to zero, you're in a world where SaaS companies, software companies, anyone with a recurring revenue business has to find a way to grow and be profitable at the same time, right? Now, it's not about throwing out growth. We all want to still grow. If you don't grow your company, you also won't be valuable. But in a world of growth at all costs and never making money, that, that world is completely gone. And we're now in this world of you know durable growth. Some people call it efficient growth. But it's growth that's just much, much more rational. Yeah, I mean, and this is the concept of you know, literally being able to walk and chew gum at the same time. And in tech, yeah, and, exactly. You know, and tech uh-huh. used to do this all the time, right? I mean, if you go back to the '80s and '90s, tech companies grew; they were profitable, very profitable at the same time. And then, like you said, we've had this window, which which I would assert has been going on for probably closer to 15, 16 years. I mean, it's been a really nice, nice long window. But Kelly, let me bring you into this conversation. So, what do you think about this pivot? To, to profitability, I mean, and, and how serious it is right now. What are you seeing? Yeah. So first of all, wholeheartedly agree um, with Nick that profitability is here to stay. We had this fun little blip. Um, and, and what I would underscore just to maybe add some different context to the conversation is I think what I'm seeing, especially through the lens of, you know, organizationally and how businesses are having to operate now is what this is forcing is a lot more focus and intentionality. I think in the past, you know, several years, like everybody just did all kinds of things and lots of things. Um, so I always try and find like the silver lining in this for the teams and our customers as well in terms of what does this mean? I think we're all going to come out of this much more operationally sound because it's forcing us to balance both of those vectors of growth and profitability and doing it in as cost-efficient manner as, as possible. So definitely here to stay. As Nick said, I think it's the more rational way. Like if you think about long-term success for your organization, just fundamentally, we should be making money as a business. It's kind of silly that we, I think we kind of overlooked it for the past decade, but I don't think um, I don't think it's going away. And we, you know, as organizations and companies need to embrace it and make sure that we have the right strategies and, um, you know, structures in place to, to thrive. Yeah, and back to Nick's point. I mean, as long as interest rates are not zero, then this is going to be in play. And and there's nothing on the horizon that tells us interest rates are going to go back to those you know historically low you know percentages. So I think this is here to stay. And you know, Nick, you and I were discussing the fact that, that the current focus on growing more cost effectively is changing the way that executives look at their CS capabilities. So when when you drill in the CS, right, what are you hearing from your customers in, ter- in terms of how they view the function? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that overall, uh, companies are viewing their customer base as mu- a much more strategic growth engine than they've they've looked at the last 10, 15 years as we talked about, right? Because at the end of the day, if, if you have 0% interest rates and you're just trying to kind of find a way to make the company more valuable tomorrow, you're going to f- hire more salespeople, spend more money on marketing. Now people are saying, well, one the most efficient way to grow, it's the oldest adage of the book, right? It's cheaper to grow, keep and retain 
and grow an existing customer than to get a new one. And TSA has been all about this for, for you know many decades now, right? And now I think people are looking back and saying that is the way to grow. So what we're seeing is chief revenue officers, presidents, CEOs, CFOs saying, how can we do more with our installed base? And obviously that breaks down into two big buckets. How can we actually mitigate the churn we're getting in our installed base? And then also how can we drive more expansion through our installed base? And we all know that that churn becomes a huge headwind. You know, frankly, when you plug in a high churn rate into a SaaS, you know, cash flow model, you'll you'll never be profitable. Like literally not even, not even like um after 10 or 15 years, you know, it just will never happen, right? Because essentially the cost to refill the bucket with new revenue right. um, and the the cost of getting that new revenue basically um, overwhelms any profit you would ever have. And so people are saying, we got to get a handle on retention, right? And some, many people have, but some people don't, and they need to fix that. And then we got to find a way to sell more to our base, you know, whether that's small upsells, you know, getting them to do more, or it's actually cross-sell new product. Now, getting to your question, what's happening now is people are saying, that is now a company-wide initiative, right? I want to retain and grow my customer base as efficiently as possible. And that's the word then. What's the most efficient way to do it? In some cases, a customer success team doing a great job in retention is the most efficient way to re- retain that customer versus, let's say, a sales rep getting paid on the renewal. Mm-hmm. In some cases, the CS team actually doing a small expansion is more efficient and better for the customer than sending it back to sales. In other cases, it's better to actually digitize the whole thing so no human has to do it, right? So it's actually more self-service and automated for the customer. So what people are saying is our customers are the most efficient way for us to grow, What's the most efficient way to grow through our customers? And that's the thing everyone's trying to figure out. Yeah, and we're going to click into to all those tactics you just sort of put on the table there in terms of the role of, of CS. But I think there, there's no doubt that executive teams have a really, really bright light on the CS function right now. And, and I'm curious, Kelly, you know, from, from, you know, as a chief customer officer, how is the current environment changing the way that, that you think about CS capabilities? Yeah, great question. Um, I feel a little bit like we're having deja vu when the pandemic hit, right? And it suddenly people are like, oh, customers, like we need to put all this attention and focus on it where this is like part two. But similar to profitability, I do think that this level of appreciation is here to stay because we've just had so many different you know, situations that have kind of put that spotlight on it over the several years. And I think we're learning, especially in a recurring revenue type of business that that is your most precious asset. So what's happening in the world of customer success, number one to Nick's point is we're getting more organizational buy-in. I see that, you know, with the, I have the luxury of connecting with so many different organizations and CS executives and their executive teams are now starting to really lock arms with them and build those kind of handshakes and bridges between CS and product and CS and sales and understanding that they're really the growth engine of the business at the end of the day. To Nick's point, if retention isn't where it needs to be, everything else falls short and you're going to spend a whole heck of a lot more money trying to offset that with just constantly bringing new logos in the door because it's a more expensive way to go do it. So what's happening is I would say the the level of operational excellence is really that bar is getting higher and higher, especially for CS executives. I always think of, you know, synonymous to your CROs or your revenue leaders in the organization, that same level of rigor um, and taking a data-driven approach to how you run the business, being able to talk about attribution, what, what are those high-value activities that are driving the leading indicators, resulting in the lagging outcomes, 
really running your business in a much more scientific manner so that you're mobilizing your human capital in the right way. And then to Nick's point where there's a ton of energy right now is understanding how they can leverage digital strategies to augment that. So it it hits the needs of both the investor success bucket, making sure that you're only spending, you know, a reasonable amount on customer success, but also driving the customer success angle of it, where our customers are demanding more personalized experiences, more self-service. In many cases, that user experience, um, you aren't able to do that with CSM. So there's a big shift right now that's happening um, around customer success to really be augmented by digital strategies to serve the needs of our investors, teammates, and customers. So um, those are the big things. And then ultimately, if you're not outcomes-oriented right now, you're not going to survive, right? Like we've kind of talked about value versus I've always said adoption is necessary, but it's not sufficient. Mm -hmm. That could not be more true than it is right now. If your organization isn't having both value delivery, well, value selling and value delivery conversations where you're able to really connect hard, tangible ROI to the work, you know, to what you're doing in your software you're probably not going to survive, you know, renewal cycles, if not now in the future, um, just given, you know, competitive landscapes, the market, et cetera. So those are the kind of the big themes I'm seeing um, from the, the CCO lens. So you put a lot on the table there, and I want to play back a little bit in terms of, you know, what you said is that there is a, a lot more support and attention from the executive team on CS. They're realizing how critical CS is to, again, retention, growing current customers, et cetera. But you know, the bar is getting higher for CS. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And it's interesting, you know, Nick, we spent some time with a group of uh, SaaS CFOs in, a couple of weeks ago, right? And in this session, I heard you make a really important statement. And, and you said you're coaching CS leaders that they have one of three paths to scale their function. And is number one is take on commercial responsibilities. Number two is start monetizing some of your CS activities, not all, but some. And number three, and this is Kelly, what you were on, is create a more scalable digital experience. And, and I can tell you that, you know, we have data that validates the financial benefits of all three of those tactics. I think they're all winning tactics. Um, but I want to talk about each one of them. And I want to start with the least controversial of, of those. And, and that is having a more scalable digital experience. And so I'll start with you. What advancements are you seeing there in the industry? Because we're talking about being more digital, being more scalable. Let's be more specific here. What are people doing there that they they maybe you know didn't do in the past? Yeah, sounds good. So great. So what we're seeing uh, is that there's, Digital, um, you know, as a kind of concept has evolved a ton and it's evolved in a couple different ways. Number one is it's evolved from, oh, digital is the thing I do for my small customers when I can't afford to put a CSM on them. That's what people used to think, right? Along till you, and actually we've made this mistake too, drawing a triangle, you put your digital on the bottom and your big customers at the top. And now what you're seeing is, of course, digital is a great way to cost effectively serve your smaller customers. But it's also a great way to to augment what your high touch team is doing with your large customers, mm-hmm. right? We had, we actually had a the CCO of Okta present at one of our events, and he was talking about the fact that like a lot of your large customers over time get disengaged and don't want to interact in a high touch fashion. You know, frankly, they think they know more than the person at the vendor they're dealing with. Sure. Maybe they've been using the solution ten years, and so digital is a great way to re engage your dormant large strategic customers, or maybe touch more stakeholders in your customer, things like that. So. Point number one is digital is not just for small companies. Point number two 
is digital isn't just about like one tactic, right? So what we find is, you know, when people think of digital, they think of lots of different things. They might start and say, oh, it's about emailing customers or having a self-service website. It's about community. It's about an in-app experience. And we'd argue it's actually all of those things. It's about really thinking of the customer journey and building a way that really fits them and meets them where they are. Um, and so we, we actually built this model, which basic idea is that, you know, you start out, with kind of a little bit more of a, a passive approach where, you know, you build a self-service portal of some kind and customers can come in, open a support ticket, look up your know, documentation, maybe connect with other customers, the community. And then you start to have a little bit more of a proactive approach where you're creating maybe more of a digital journey and you're reaching out to the customer based on behavior and you're actually like nurturing them content, training videos, you know, connection to other customers. And then eventually that becomes more personalized to like what they're actually going through specifically and where they are and what their goals are. And eventually use AI to make it more predictive. So there's this sort of maturity people are going through where digital is no longer just for small customers. It's no longer just about one channel, like sending emails. It's no longer just about blasting them like the traditional marketing approach. It's really using all this incredible technology out there to meet them where they're at, meet them along the side of their journey and make it personalized to their experience. You know, and I, I want to just comment on the, the first point you're making there around this is no longer for just your smaller customers because Rowdy is, and we've been saying this for, for years to our, our big enterprise customers, is that there are customers that want to engage in a digital way. They don't want to have yes. to talk to your sales force, right? They don't want to have to always talk to a CSM directly. They want to, I mean, you know, we all travel a lot. And you remember the days where you had to talk to an agent to book anything. And now we're all doing it on our mobile app. And I don't think any of us would want to go back, right? And that's a, an, an example of that. And so I think more B2B companies really need to lean into that and figure out how they can take friction out of the customer experience by by moving some of these capabilities to make them more Digital, I think I think there's huge appetite out there for that, and and so Kelly, I'm I'm curious, what do you see here when it comes to the digital experience? Yeah, and I just want to underscore on what you said just for a second because I think it's so critical. I think way too many folks, when they think of digital, it's like in conflict with a good experience for the customer. Right. That's how they're internalizing it. But to your point, I think we need to like shift our mindset and understand that in many cases, it can be value add. Um, not to mention your CSMs typically are only engaging with a few key stakeholders in an account. Digital is the way to amplify that to drive user experience, right? No CSM is going to be able to touch all the users and users expect personalized experience. You know, like you go on your Instagram or your Facebook and every they already know everything about you and it's giving you the right content. Like that is the next evolution and iteration of customer success. So to answer your question, the way I would summarize it or synthesize it is I think we're at an inflection point where lots of organizations are opening their eyes and ears to this concept. Like it comes up in 99% of the conversations I'm having. So we are at this pivot of organizations just thinking about it as a sheer long tail strategy for their lowest spend customers to wanting to invest in more of a strategic program mm -hmm. that's in support of their larger customer base. Now I think the next sort of phase of this is helping guide and helping customer, customers understand how to actually execute it, it's still very nascent. So I think a lot of folks are you know, trying to find even the right resources and skill sets that know how to drive a digital strategy, which is in many cases can be this blended kind of marketer slash customer success type person. 
But if I think about the maturity lens and I reflect back on like the past five to 10 years, even at Gainsight, like we've always had a maturity model of customer success. And it's interesting. We've sort of helped step our customers in the industry, like from kind of reactive to proactive to outcomes. And like, so we're up that maturity curve. And now, like I, I imagine this digital customer success maturity curve is sort of the next um, evolution that we're going to help step folks through. I think many are kind of moving from reactive to proactive today with some of the self-serve capabilities. What most organizations aren't progressive yet in is more of that uh, personalized and predictive phase of it. And I think that there's going to be so much just goodness um, and exciting things to come from that over the next um, many, many years. And it's, you know, some of it's technology, right? Having the right technology to do in-app and those types of things. But some of it's just kind of building out the strategy and the plan um, and getting the organization behind it uh, to, to go drive it. Well, I, I just have to ask this question. As a CCO, and, and you talk about you know, moving more of a customers to, to, to have a digital experience. You know, the one thing that I observe, and I'm very curious how you see this mm-hmm. as a CCO, is the internal resistance. So, you, you know, you have a CS organization, let's say they're used to putting that white glove experience around customers, they're used to that. And you come along and you say, well, you know, you don't actually have to, you know, pick up the phone and talk to them. We can do this digitally, right? You know, you maybe guide your customers to take advantage of that. And internally, the CSMs feel like, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm not delivering the best experience here. So how do you help your own CS organization get to the knothole on this? It's such a good question because we we definitely don't want to like devalue right the and demoralize to some extent the the CSMs inside our organization. So a few things. First of all, the key emphasis to your CSMs need to be that we're going to help you spend your time on the right high value activities, right? So some of some of this is just taking mundane, repetitive things that quite frankly might be better served in a more digital manner to the customer than having to do it in a one-to-one basis. Uh, but the tactic, just to get a little bit more brass tacks that we've used internally, um, as you think about your digital program, because once you get a few quick wins, right, the light bulb goes off and they're like, oh my God, this is actually great. So what we do is when, when we kind of build digital programs or journeys, we will do the experimentation, right? And this is pretty common in your lower spend customers because there might be some A-B testing you're doing to understand um, you know what what works better than the others, and then once we've ha- once we gather some learnings, as long as it's net neutral or net positive to the entire customer base, then we go roll it out to all customers, and we get some feedback from the CSM leadership team and stuff just to make sure there's collaboration, and then we would operationalize as part of the journey as kind of stage three moving forward. And we've done this with a few things that were much more manual, even for my most strategic CSMs, and they are like in heaven. And by the way, the engagement from some of the digital journeys has been more like better response than us trying to do it in in a human led way. So you have to have a way to kind of package up the success criteria as you get started and show them real world kind of wins um, and how it's actually helping the customers and opening up their time to get more strategic and talk about outcomes and multi-thread with the right, you know, stakeholders, et cetera. So it's a combination of the two. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, you know, a customer can go on a digital journey, getting value on a Saturday afternoon, right? When your CSM doesn't have to be there, right? And so, I mean, there's just, in, in one thing you articulated there, which we've talked about in this podcast before, is digital capabilities are allowing your employees to climb the value ladder. 
to, to work on things that are yet even more strategic to the customer. So, you know, it's, it is a, a beautiful thing, but I do see this resistance sometimes, right? Where people get, get nervous. And Nick, you, you were going to comment there. I'm sorry, I, I cut you off. No, no, I, there's so much to talk about. We're so excited. So I think I think the only other thing I'd add in, Kelly's, Kelly nailed it. It can be a superpower for CSMs. It really helps. I think everyone helps the customer, helps the investor, helps the CSM. The only other thing I'd say is I think most companies are already doing digital today. They're just doing it in a very fragmented and uncoordinated yeah. way, right? Mm-hmm. So marketing is sending like untargeted blast emails to customers about new products and the customer is still in onboarding, Right. The sales BDR team is sending, you know, reaching out to existing clients, not realizing they're even a client and, they, and getting a note and the client's like, what are you guys talking about? You know, do you even talk to each other? The, the product team is implementing what people now very fashionable term product led growth kind of in app, you know, maybe ways to try new features or sign up, which is great. Right. And, and, and then the CS team's obviously doing their thing as well. And so my argument is, oh, and by the way, support also has some kind of self-service portal or more likely has like five portals because <laughs> there's like a place you go for the knowledge base and a different community and marketing as a community site. And, and so I'd argue most companies are doing this today. They're just doing it in an extremely fragmented way. And what does that do? The customer gets frustrated, but more importantly, they just don't engage, right? They tune it out. They unsubscribe to the email. And so then they end up calling in or they talk to their rep. And so the only way we're going to move forward is to consolidate all this in one journey, personalize it to the customer and kind of act like it's 2023, not 1993, right? From a technology perspective. Yeah, so. no doubt. I mean, I, I think, again, for B2B companies, designing meaningful, lower friction digital experiences is still a nascent capability for a lot of B2B companies. So, so it's, you know, still early days there, but again, tons of headroom, right, is what, what we're seeing here. And so I, I want to move off of, because these other things that we, you know, you put on the table to these CFOs. So one of them is the digital experience. Um, the other one is monetizing CS. Right. And so, you know, right now we're running, uh, we just finished an industry survey that I did and we asked this question, you know, are you monetizing any CS activities? And the results came in and, and 51% of the company said they're monetizing um, 49 said they're they're not, um, and and this data has actually been stable for many years. We've been benchmarking this 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 question, right? So about half the industry is saying, yeah, we're going to monetize. So so Kelly, I'm going to go to you on this one as as a CCO. What is your perspective on what it takes to to monetize? And again, we're not saying monetize everything, but to start monetizing any CS activities, what does it take? Yeah, so it's a good question. By the way, my prediction, we'll see if I'm right, uh, <laughs> is in the next like five to 10 years, I think that's going to shift and we're going to see more monetization. Oh, definitely. Um, definitely. And, it, and it's for a few reasons, in, in my opinion. Number one, like long term, um, I think it's, you know, probably your easiest and maybe your only way to really scale customer success as an organization from a cost efficient manner. Uh, But number two, and this is actually showing up in a lot of the conversations I'm having right now, is what folks are realizing is that they also need to optimize the experience and kind of set their customers up better for success from a time to value perspective with the right package of resources. So most often I'm not just seeing, you know, customer success monetized as like a CSM line item, it's usually a suite of resources, right? Your paid support, some CSM support, usually enablement, some technical support. Sometimes in your most, um, you know, highest package, there could be some product development. So usually there's different tiers of of bundled packages with suites of resources. Um, And it's just a matter of aligning the expectations of what your customers want to do, 
in the right time frame to what they need to be successful. And it usually ends up taking a lot of friction out of like the adoption that needs to happen within an account and needing to sell all these ad hoc services when they don't get to where they need to be. So just being able to tell that narrative and show them the ROI, I think is the most critical piece. Um, so my recommendation would be if, if you are getting started, like pilot this with a few customers, right? See what the see what the take rate is, and then package up some case studies so you can really show how this actually helped drive them to success in X timeframe and the, the tangible business outcomes um, that it delivered. But I do think that this is the way of the future, especially as profitability is here to stay. Um, I think that this is going to be one of the key strategies um, to both make sure that, you know, we're, we're delivering against the ROI that the customers need and doing it in a, you know, a way that makes um, good business sense um, as well. Well, it's music to my ears to hear you say that because, I mean, for we've been on the square for, as Nick knows, for years saying, look, you got to monetize CS at some level. And now the fact that, you know, you guys are out there as between the two of us, we're going to move the industry on this topic. <laughs> we're going to move. And, and I just, let's do let's it. Do it. And, and I, I'm going to get a little wonky from a financial perspective here, but, you know, one of the pushbacks that I've heard historically when when I've, I've, I've spoken to executive teams, specifically smaller SaaS companies, and we'll say, hey, you know, you should be monetizing some of this CS activity. And, and they basically said, oh, man, that's just is dilutive to our margins. And our investors want to see big margins and CS is lower margins. But the part that, that, that is lost on them is that, and by the way, the same survey we just conducted, a majority of SaaS companies stick those, those non-monetized CS expenses into subscription cogs, okay? So, so not sales and marketing, subscription cogs. What does that mean? That is basically weighing down the gross margin on your technology subscription. So if you can just carve out some of those expenses and make them service cogs, right? You have, by definition, just lifted the margin on your core technology gear. And, and so, and you're bringing in, you know, net new revenue and margin dollars to help pay the bills. So it, it, it's a no-brainer and, Companies are doing it successfully. So, so if people are listening and saying, "Oh, but our customers will never pay for, you know, any type of CS activity," that you are dead wrong there. And to your point, you know, Kelly, it's it's how you're putting it on the table. You know, you're being prescriptive. Mm-hmm. You're saying this is value to your business. Um, you know, this is how we're going to help you out. And there are many SaaS companies that are doing this successfully. And you know, it's an issue of just being, you know, prescriptive, being strategic being disciplined about it, but it's definitely a play that you can, you can run. It's, it's right there within your, you know, within your grasp. So, all right, man, we're going to move the industry on that one. Okay. I want to get to this, this last one, which is no doubt the most controversial recommendation on, on the table here. And that is having customer success own commercials. Now, now the good news, Nick, okay, is that we have tons of data here that actually backs this recommendation up. There's lots of good things that happen um, when uh, CS starts to own commercials. If the CS organization owns renewals and they have expansion targets, we see good things happen to overall technology subscription renewal rates and growth rates. Um, again, lots of good things happen, but you know, we also know there are many CS execs and CEOs that are not a fan of moving commercials, you know, out of any commercials out of sales and into CS. So, so why do you, Nick, put that recommendation on the table? Yeah, I mean, it came back to the the three of these together because I think that that I what I mentioned as you alluded to is, you know, CS has got to be sustainable, like any function is. And I think that what happens in in these sort of bubble economies is, you know, new ideas get fashionable and people will throw them out, 
right? And they'll be like, hey, we should do customer success, right? And obviously, I probably preached a little bit about that. You have as well. <laughs> and so a lot of people got excited about it, you know? But a couple years later, the CFO inevitably goes around and says, so what exactly is this doing for us? I know it's exciting and strategic, right? And I kind of said, you know, hey, there's three models. You're either char- either the customer's paying for it or, you're, or you can attribute revenue to it or you've automated it. It's one of those three. That's it. There's no other... There's no other solution. So on this revenue one, I think that when you look at it fundamentally, there's two blocks that people have to doing this, in my opinion, two roadblocks. One is um, a psychological one, which is actually, I think, a huge misnomer. And this idea that we cannot deliver value if we are selling, right? We cannot be a trusted advisor if we're selling. And frankly, I, I hear CS people say that. I think that's kind of offensive to great salespeople. Great salespeople are actually not transactional. They're actually really thinking about the client's needs, understanding the outcomes, helping to drive those. And so there's a lot of times where a CS motion very naturally lends itself to a small upsell, an expansion, um, You know, not necessarily go sell a whole new business unit at the company, but those small deals that have to go back to sales, they're bad for the customer because the customer is just honestly like, why do I have to go talk to another yeah. person? They're bad for the financials because you're now paying another person on that deal and, an, and a more expensive person typically. And they're bad for the CSM because the CSM is not getting to really show the value of what they're doing. And so I think fundamentally, roadblock number one is we need to remove this psychological mindset that somehow if you're talking revenue, you can't be delivering value or, to, or sales is bad or things like that. So that's one. Now, the other side of the coin is you know, there's a lot of sales organizations where like the truth is the easiest thing to do is retain and renew a customer. And the second easiest thing is to upsell a customer. And the third easiest thing is to sell a new customer. And look, I have so much empathy. Sales is very hard. Um, but for us to all pay the same amount for those three things when the level of effort is so radically different makes no sense. And so what you're seeing is some companies saying, hey, well, great, given those physics, I want my salespeople to go after new business. And I want my CSMs to do the existing retention and small expansions and accounts. Now, you might still say, if it's a big expansion, I want it to go back to sales or my strategic accounts need to be owned by sales. That's totally fine. You can have a myriad of strategies, but being open-minded that there are multiple paths to revenue. And as you guys have said really well at TSIA, we just need to find the most efficient way to drive each type of revenue. What's the most efficient way to drive renewal? What's the most efficient way? Small expansion, big cross-sell, new logo. We need just to do the most efficient way for the business and for the customer to do each of those. So those are the two roadblocks. There's a psychological roadblock and there's a kind of reassessment of what sales is. Yeah. And, you know, at TSI, we are literally 100% simpatico with everything you just said, but I can't emphasize this enough that the data backs this up. This is not just sort of, you know, hey, I think this is a good idea. The data backs this up. And you're right, the, the psychological issue here is, I think, really the, the big one, right? Because again, if the data supports it, why are people not doing it? Um, sales doesn't want to give it up. And then the, a lot of the CS organizations are saying, gosh, I'm not sure I really want to catch that because it's going to mess my relationship up with the customer. And, and to your point, I mean, we, as you know, several books ago, we, we have this phrase, that, you know, helping will sell, selling will won't help. And it is that mentality. And in, in context, the CSM is the best positioned often, not only to just help with the renewal, but you know, for that cross-sell, that expansion, whatever, they're the ones that can have that conversation in context. And the customer's not looking, thinking, oh my gosh, you know, you're selling to me. The customer's thinking, hey, thanks for helping me, <laughs> right? That, that's the model. So, so Kelly, I have to ask you this question. If, if you're a CS leader out there and you are now for the first time being asked 
to maybe take on responsibilities around renewals or around some expansion on you know activities, et cetera. What are the first steps that you would take? First of all, I would say, yes, give it to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's not all CS leaders are there. I can tell you that right now, but that's good. That's my former sales background coming out. I love anything revenue oriented. Um, but first and foremost, um, for me, I think having a data-driven approach to these things, right? Understanding the landscape of the available to renew um, customers. And so, so for example, I would be looking at and probably making some type of quadrant view of like customer health and spend and all these different things so that we can align specific playbooks and approaches against different archetypes of, you know, renewals that are out there. Um, And then the second one would be, so I see renewals show up two different ways in customer success. Number one is the CSM actually owning the renewal. Number two would be renewal specialists or teams that sit within the broader remit of the the CCO org. Um, In those examples, um, if that was the case and you kind of have two specialized roles, then I think it's really important to have an integrated playbook across those two teams and collaboration and visibility around customer health and data um, and make sure that there's a clear racy of how these two, two parties are working together to drive successful renewal outcomes. But first and foremost is I don't think all renewal situations are one size fits all, right? And really understanding um, kind of the landscape of things through a data-driven approach and then pairing strategies and playbooks to map against them. And in general, right now, I would encourage everyone to extend the runway and the time frame that they're having renewal conversations because that typical T minus 120 day is just in many cases um, not going to work. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I'll, I'll put some data on the table here, and because Kelly, you mentioned these different models for, for renewal management, and so, you know, when you have renewals coming up, there, there's there's four ways you could you could take that money off the table. You can have the actual sales executive, the account executive own it. You could have a renewal specialist that's in sales. You could have a renewal specialist that's in CS, or you could have the CSM on it, right? So, so four models there, and and from a data perspective, I can tell you a couple things. First of all, most importantly. We do not see a difference in renewal performance based on which one of those four you use. So there is not this massive degradation. If you say, "Look, we're going to you know not have the sales executive account you know person do it. We're going to have a you know renewal specialist, whatever." The renewal rates stay you know as good, and sometimes they get better when you move it away from sales. So that's the first thing people really need to internalize. The second one is when you and Nick, you were on the square a couple of minutes ago. When you take the renewal and you give it you know to to a renewal specialist or you give it to the CSM. You force sales to focus on the net new or the big expansion. And what we see is that, again, the growth rates for the core technology subscription goes up <laughs> when, when you move the renewal responsibility away from sales because they are forced to really focus on that new conversation, which is what you want them to do. That's that's really what you know you're paying that premium for. So you know nothing but you know good things happen here, and it's a really important lever to pull. But again, as we've already talked about, there's there, there's a lot of resistance to this third one more than more than the first two. Well, I'm I'm watching the clock here, and I'm I'm very uh, conscious of our time here. Uh, Nick and Kelly, thank you so much for for coming in today for the special 50th episode here. Uh, these are interesting and challenging times for for sure. And there's no doubt the CS organizations are in the epicenter of, of getting to you know profitability here for these SaaS companies. And on these episodes, we always like to end with the question of the day. And the question of the day for today 
If your CS organization is not pulling one of the three levers we discussed today, how are you justifying CS budget and headcount during tight times? Cheers. Cheers.